everyone. I'm Brittany, the content and research producer. And I'm Ellie, the media and content producer at Magnify. And welcome to the Magnify podcast, where we co-host aspirational conversations to help you thrive and work through faith. This podcast is a place where we explore all the topics and questions which we all grapple with in our careers in faith, from imposter syndrome, identity, perfectionism, acting in courage, boundaries, really the list could go on. We dig in and get frank about all things work using faith as a backdrop. And through these conversations with dynamic individuals, we hope you'll leave informed, intrigued, and inspired in your faith and work life. Like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to a place as a human, like where I, I realize I made a mistake and I'm like immediately totally at peace about it, you know, and, or like I get negative feedback and I just feel like really warm and fuzzy about it. Okay. So for our next episode, we are tackling a subject that hits kind of close to home for both of us, I think, um, which is perfectionism. So LED, beat yourself up when something doesn't go right. Literally, I didn't think I'd go a day without thinking that I haven't lived up to like my impossible expectations. I never focus on what went well in anything. I always focus on like the parts that went wrong. Our whole lives were told that 100% is what we need to get. And then as soon as you get into the real world, 100% is just not realistic in anything. I completely relate. Definitely, yeah. I just think for me, it's a, a huge topic, perfectionism. Um, as a writer as well, every time I sit down, it's just like, if this isn't perfect, I don't even want to try. So I just like knock myself back and get get in the way of myself because of it. I think that's exactly it. It's, um, I feel that getting in, the, getting in the way of myself as well. And I think for everyone listening, if something isn't 100% perfect, do you think it's not good enough? Does your fear of something not being perfect stop you from saying yes to opportunities? And when holding on to perfectionism, we hold ourselves to impossible standards. So how do we work against it? Yeah, so some big questions there. And today we spoke with Liz Falkin Bohannon, who's joining us today to share some of her tips on how she's worked through perfectionism. Um, and she's the founder of Seiko Designs. And she spent some time with Seth Godin early on in her entrepreneur journey, who encouraged her to not focus on the perfection of the design, but more to focus on how it can grow. And her own podcast mission, Plucking Up, is to show that nobody is immune to messing up and self-doubt. So in today's episode, she shares her true self and honestly chats on her own struggle with perfectionism, how as a leader she encourages room for imperfection amongst her employees, and how when we show up as we are, imperfections and all, we allow permission for others to do the same. And this was an absolute pleasure to chat with, so let's have a listen. Thank you so much for joining us today, Liz. We're so happy to have you on the podcast and be able to chat with you for a bit. Um, and before we dive into the conversation, we actually just wanted to do uh, just kind of an opening question for all of us of just um, what's kind of been like our go-to comfort movie. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a great question. Comfort <laughs> movie. Well, I've not watched a movie in so long. <laughs> answer to that. I mean, maybe... Um, my kids really like this uh, cartoon called The Octonauts, and they have this Octonaut movie. <laughs> that's the only movie that I've watched in probably the last year, so we're going to say that. The couch with my kids and watching a movie about underwater exploring is, uh, is surprisingly comforting. Nice. What about you, Ellie? Um, I choose a movie called About Time. I don't know if either of you have seen it, but um, it's by the same director as Love, actually, if you've seen that either. Um, but it's just like a really heartwarming movie and just about making the most out of your everyday and noticing the little moments. So, yeah. 
I'm going to need to write that down. About time. Yeah, about time. It's very good. Um, Brittany, what would you go for? Mine is, I kind of have a few, but I think one that I was thinking of recently was um, one called The Hundred Foot Journey. And it's kind of like a, a almost like a, a movie about like food, um, family, and just about um, your community and your neighbors. Uh, so it's always kind of a nice little heartwarming one. Those both sound excellent. So much. Start watching movies. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and yeah, we do a quick fire question round as well. Um, so our first one is, if you could have a dinner party with three guests from any era, who would they be and why? Gosh, oh, I have so many people I would want to hang out with. Um, if I could do a dinner party from any era. Yeah, from any era. So I'd probably want to like have a really wide span of time represented. So I'm like trying to think about, um, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking about like a woman. I'm trying to think of like the most notable woman from like really early on. I don't know, maybe like Joan of Arc. I don't know anything really about Joan of Arc, but I feel like knowing what it would be like to be a woman and when was she even alive? The 15th century? I don't know. Um, so I would choose that. Then maybe let's see, representing, let's go hunt forward a couple hundred years, maybe Harriet Tubman. I do more, know more about her. And, um, but she just seemed like a amazingly, uh, one brave and unique and prophetic and like, um, leader. And so I think I would put her in there and then, oh gosh, let's pick someone more, um, Oh, why do I feel nervous about this? I only have one left. Um, who is someone right now? I don't know. Maybe Michelle Obama. Well, Can't go wrong. Becoming, and I was just, she's brilliant. And I was like, I would love to be friends with her. <laughs> so, okay. So those would be my three. Amazing. Um, and what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I think the best piece of advice that I've ever been given is probably that um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe my mom telling me I should think before I speak. <laughs> something that I struggle with. When I was a kid, she told me she she named it gumball syndrome. It's like Liz, your brain is like a gumball machine. The quarter goes in, and the thought just rolls right on out. And uh, I, I believe deeply in speaking truth um, and being honest. I also think that there's probably space and wisdom in uh, creating space to think about things before you just say them. <laughs> so maybe my earliest piece of advice for my mama, just like think, just think real quick before you speak. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and what's a hidden talent of yours? Hidden talent? Um... I have any talents. I have really, really, um, okay. I do this thing for my kids a lot lately because I'm pregnant right now. And so I pretend to, um, talk to my two little boys as if I'm the baby in my stomach. And I do this thing where I keep my mouth completely closed, but I'm still able to, to talk and they get a really big kick out of it. So <laughs> like a weird ventriloquist kind of thing so we'll go with that <laughs> that is adorable <laughs> amazing well actually going into that we always like to um kind of hear a bit more about um 
our guest backgrounds and kind of like life growing up as well, because it seems to usually have some sort of connection with what we end up doing later. And so just curious of for you growing up, what was your childhood like and what were some of kind of the values that shaped you? I grew up in the Midwest, so in between Missouri and Illinois. I am one of um, three siblings, so I have an older brother who's just about a year and a half older and a little sister who is three and a half years younger, Um, and I am the daughter of a – my dad was in business, finance. He did have a stint as an entrepreneur. So I, I, my guess is that some of that seeped into, um, you know, this idea that, that, uh, you can actually create your own job or your own, uh, place in an economy was probably very early on planted into my head subconsciously by that. And then my mom was a pediatric transplant dialysis nurse growing up. And I think her job really influenced our family culture, um, she did a great job of, I think, bringing us into her career and her vocation. I remember feeling integrated with that, like, oh, mom's job as a nurse is kind of part of our family Um, and got exposed to that at a pretty early age, like have memories of being going to the hospital with her. I remember her letting me do an overnight shift with her one time. Um, but she would see, she would have the same patients for years and years because the nature of transplant dialysis is you have these patients who are in your care for, for many years. Um, and she grew really close relationships with these kids who came from literally all over the Midwest. So that was a really interesting experience of exposure, I think, to get, um, you know, I think a lot of times as a little kid, your world can be so small. It's like your friends in your class, in your neighborhood, right? And so I had this really interesting opportunity through my mom and through her work to kind of see a lens into how other kids in my region, not just in my neighborhood or my, you know, so it's like, I remember her, um, her like having relationships with families that were from the inner city of St. Louis or kids who were from like really, really, really super rural areas of Missouri, um, both really different than I grew up in like a suburban context. And so I think my mom's work and how she integrated us into that and also just how she really cared for the people that she worked alongside was really um, influential in, in my upbringing. Um, yeah. Amazing. Um, and yeah, you can definitely see sort of that care through the work that you do today as well. Um, and the topic that we're going to be tackling today is perfectionism in our work. So I guess first off, have you ever sort of grappled with perfectionism in your work? And where do you think the idea of having to be perfect in all that we do sort of comes from when it comes to our careers? Yeah, absolutely. I've struggled with um, perfectionism and shame and fear of um, if I can't be the best or if I can't do it perfectly, like the fear of of wanting to show up in a less than perfect space has been, um, yeah, I would say pretty, I would say pretty much a lifelong journey. Um, I think the mantra of progress over perfection has been something Um, that's been really powerful to me. I really early on in my career in an amazing, um, uh, fortunate way was able to spend some time with Seth Godin and through like a course that he did, but in-person time that really influenced me a lot in just kind of his mentality of what I now know is kind of like this design thinking mentality of just constantly iterating this concept of the minimally viable product, so the MVP, 
Um, and his kind of ideology around embracing that way of existing of like, put out the product, then get feedback then make it better, then do it again, then tweak. And then it's a really, really different way of thinking than like get it right, get it perfect behind the, behind the curtain and then do the big reveal, right? Um, has been really, really freeing. And that's not to say that I haven't um, struggled with the times in which, you know, I've made mistakes or I, you know, took us in the wrong direction or I said or did something that in hindsight, I'm like, what? I didn't, that was that was not what I would have done with all the information had I had it. Um, but I do think that at least having that ideology to aspire to, that it's like, it's about continuing to make it a little bit better day after day has been um, really freeing and something that I've really grasped onto. Yeah, definitely. I love the idea of that. It's a journey. It's never something that you can overcome in a day and then it's, you know, you're fixed forever in terms of the perfectionism side of things. Um, but yeah, I suppose like what are some of the practical ways as well within that, that you're able to overcome and push through that perfectionism bug that sits on all of us um, in your day-to-day -day work as well? I mean, honestly, I think the biggest thing is having practices that root me in reminding me that I'm not what I do <laughs> and that my identity and my worthiness isn't inherently or entirely tied up into whether or not I'm successful or how good this project went. Um, and so I, I really think it's stuff outside of work, being really grounded um, in my faith, being grounded in a community of people who um, know all parts of me and who love me. Um, you know, every night when I put my little boys to bed, our kind of one of our family mantras or prayers starts out with this idea that says, I'm not what I have, what I do, or what people say. Um, and so it's just like level setting of just like, hey, my identity goes far beyond any of those three things. Those things are all really important. Um, and we can talk about those and there's great ways to engage in them, but, but they don't define us. Um, and so really kind of trying to build those practices into, into my personal life so that I have more freedom in my professional life to not be quite as um, tied up or fearful about those things. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you recognize that those things are important and they absolutely are a big part of all of our lives, but they don't, they don't define us and they aren't our identity down to the core. Um, and I suppose just off of that as well, um, what part does your faith play in sort of overcoming perfectionism as well? How does that come into play to help you push through as well, your faith? Yeah. So for me, it's really a matter of, um, you know, I believe that God is unconditional love. And so when I get that and when I really believe that and when I understand the gravity that I am unconditionally loved, it does move me. It moves me to want to build a world um, where other people experience that, where they experience uh, dignity and respect and, um, and love and community. And so it's not something that I rest in in the sense that it's like, oh, I have that check, like, you know, check, check it off. Um, but I think also giving a comfort of recognizing like it, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a human and I'm going to mess up and I'm not perfect. And I'm dealing with my own, you know, each and every one of us, our stories and our wounds and our ego and the things that we've experienced that have hurt us and that have healed us, like all play into this, you know, really complex journey <laughs> that we're all on as human beings. Um, and knowing 
I don't pretend to be perfect. And even from an ideological level claim my lack of perfection. And so I do feel like that gives like, of course, if I'm saying like, I'm not a perfect person that hopefully that leads and translates into me not being as shocked and surprised when I make mistakes. Cause it's like, Oh, I've been saying all along, I'm not perfect. And there we, here's evidence that I am not, <laughs> you know, um, but that doesn't mean that we don't stop trying that we don't um, that we stay really curious and open to feedback and to really understand like, how can I, how can I become more of who I think I was created to be? Yeah, definitely. And I think in that process as well of like getting feedback of trying to grow in who you are in your career, there's a joy that you find in that process as well. But when we focus more on sort of the being perfect side of things and the growth side of things, as you said, that progress, it can really take the joy out of the process as well. So has that ever been, you know, your scenario? Have you found that in your own work? And how do you sort of remind yourself, no, I need to enjoy the process. I need to enjoy not being perfect and making mistakes and growing honestly talking about it a lot. Like I have an entire podcast, it's called Plucking Up. And my podcast is really focused on getting really quote unquote successful people to come share their stories of mistakes, mess ups, share how they spiral the stories that, you know, they're telling themselves. And that creates a sense of, you know, I say at the end of my podcast, I hope you feel encouraged and inspired and just a little bit less alone. Because I think when we speak it out loud, I'm like a fanatic for thinking about community and how we were, I, I believe, created to live in community. And I find that to be the most freeing and beneficial thing is to share that journey with other people. Because almost always, if you're in relationship with people who are, you know, honest and authentic, it's met with like, oh, yeah, yeah, me too. That happens to me. And here's how I work through it or here, because it's it gets you out of this place where it's like, in addition to feeling ashamed for making the mistake, you feel really alone and you feel like you're the only one that beats yourself up in this specific way or that spirals in that specific way. And I think in the context of community, we can really be a light to one another. Um, because I do think it's naive to say, like, I don't know if I'm ever gonna get to a place as a human, like where I, I realize I made a mistake and I'm like, immediately totally at peace about it you know and or like I get negative feedback and I just feel like really warm and fuzzy about it you know it's like I have like a physiological response actually I'm going to say reaction because I think reaction and response are two different things so I think our reaction to hard things to making a mistake to being embarrassed to um feeling shamed to you know being rejected whatever it is I think it's just very natural. Like we have a reaction to that. I think part of it's evolutionary, right? Of just like the fight or flight, like I need to protect myself and I'm scared and my adrenaline now is pumping and I'm having this physiological reaction. And then as humans, because we're not, you know, we're not animals that don't have control over these things, we have a response. And our reaction and our response are two different things. Um, and I think my goal in life is maybe shortening the distance in the sense of being able to move towards just a natural reaction into a really controlled response that aligns with my, um, not my, you know, amygdala or the part of my brain that's really fight or flight, but like my frontal cortex. That's like, oh, this is what you really believe about the world. And this is what you really believe about other people. And this is what you really believe about yourself. Um, but not shaming myself probably for that initial reaction. And I think 
when you're in community with other people and when you realize, you know, like that, um, that you're not alone and that, oh, that's a, that's a really natural way to feel, but also you don't have to be stuck there. Um, that it can create that, that really inspires me. And so it's that, I think my answer is <laughs> that I just like want to talk about it so that we can really de-shame and create, whether it's on a, a real and intimate in real life, small community or kind of on a broader level, um, these spaces where we can all acknowledge that together. It's amazing. I also wanted to kind of, I love how you mentioned a bit before about just progress over perfectionism. Um, I wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit more because um, you've definitely grown your business over the years. And so just curious how important that value has been um, to that, to your business. Yeah, hugely valuable. Um, I mean, whether that is on a personal level, whether that is with our, you know, our internal team of we're all about like, it's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from the mistakes, like let's use that as a learning ground for like, let's connect on like, what are we going to do differently? How are we going to learn from that? Um, of course, you don't want to be in a place where you're just like making the same mistakes over and over and over again. But that especially in our sales field, that is a really big, so Seiko transitioned to a more kind of traditional retail model to a direct sales model, a social selling model, uh, probably like four or five years ago. And so instead of our products being sold by stores, they're being sold by individuals, primarily women in their community who are selling the product. And the vast majority of these women have no experience selling anything. Probably 80% of them are like, I never thought I would do anything like this. So they find themselves, you know, salespeople or entrepreneurs, and they're like, I have no experience. I have no track record. I've never done this again. And it's a very psychologically... Um, I don't know if fragile is the right word, but like, you know, anytime you do something that you're, that you are putting yourself up to set a goal and to fail or to reach out to somebody and be rejected, it requires a really brave amount of um, self-work to remind yourself <laughs> of who you are and, and why you're doing what you're doing. And I really, really admire um, people who, who are doing anything in their lives where they put themselves out there because unequivocally, the easiest way to live life is to just kind of, I think, put your head down and don't try anything that could fail or that can make you look stupid or that could put you in a spot where somebody rejects you or whatever it is. Um, and so I feel like on a really regular basis, you know, we get to walk alongside women whose lives are really being transformed by this experience of trying and succeeding and trying and failing, usually both not usually a hundred percent of the time they, you know, we've never had somebody in our community who has been really successful without also failing along the way. Um, and then seeing that, seeing how contagious that can be to see, uh, to see someone else next to you put themselves out there and one to see them succeed. And then you see yourself in that, right. Of like, Oh my gosh, like, well, what if I could, maybe I could do that. Right. And you start asking yourself questions, um, but also to see other people fail is actually really, really freeing to be like, oh, they did a thing. I love that we've created this community where uh, people share that. They're like, oh, I just did this thing and it totally bombed. And, you know, has anybody else been here or, and I think that's actually really beautiful um, because what it shows other people is like, oh, they did the thing that I'm so afraid of doing. And they experienced the quote unquote worst case scenario. And they're like, I'm still here, you know, like I made it. <laughs> Um, and I also think that that's like 
that's really powerful. And so that concept is something that we uh, think about a lot in our community. I literally just saw a Facebook post a couple of days ago with a member of our community who struggles with um, like an ongoing chronic illness. And she had a Facebook party that she was supposed to do and was just really, really struggling and couldn't get out of bed. And so she did the show from her phone. She did it from bed. And instead of hiding that or trying to apologize for it, she was just like, listen, here's where I'm at. Here's why I haven't gotten out of bed for this. Um, and, and she saw how the women in that party really resonated with that lack of perfection and with that um, honesty and that authenticity of like, I, this is the best that I can do right now. And here's how I'm showing up and how that actually creates freedom for other people to say like, oh, I can show up even in, even with it, with it not being the perfectly polished thing that of course I want it to be and that that actually inspires other people in a different way. And, you know, it's like, I don't know who was in that audience, but I imagine if there was another woman who struggles with chronic illness, that inspired her in a new way of going like, whoa, maybe I could be a part of this, even though I'm really struggling some days even just to get out of bed. And I think that that's really, that's a really beautiful, powerful thing. Yeah, definitely. I love yeah. the idea of sort of just owning the fact that you're not perfect and putting your hands up and saying that opens the gate for other women to, and men and, you know, everyone to walk through and say, yeah, me too. You know, like I face the same things that you face and there is connection to be found in that. Like you said. Love that. Yeah. I was going to say, I've, um, this one is like a personal perfectionism for me is like something that I'm constantly working through. Cause I'm like the type, like I make a mistake and it gets incredibly magnified in my mind. Um, and it, it usually takes somebody else, um, you know, somebody in my family, like a close friend to kind of like talk through it with and like they can kind of point out for me like, hey, one, you're good. You're fine. It's okay. Um, but also like here's kind of a little bit of the lesson that you actually learned. Like because you made that mistake, here's like something that you now have a takeaway with wow. of like having personal experience with and knowing. So it is amazing how like having a, community, a community of people um, around you to be able to speak back into you does help. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's interesting like, we can, it's easy to see when somebody responds to a mistake by ignoring it or diminishing it or defending themselves, how they're probably not going to learn from it. Mm -hmm. But also if you're just spiraling into like self-loathing and shame, um, you're also probably not going to learn from it. Like you're going to get so stuck in this cycle. It's not helpful to make a mistake and then leave with like, I'm just an idiot. I'm an idiot. I'm stupid. I'm not cut out for the job. I'm an imposter, whatever, you know, the narrative is that you're telling yourself. That's not, you're not learning anything there. You're not walking away to, to your point, Brittany, with a sense of like lived experience. And okay, now here's an interesting data point that I can take, you know, moving forward. All of that can really get lost in our like, you know, shame spiraling. And so I think on either ends of the spectrum, either like defend and deflect or just like crumble into to shame. Uh, I think the sweet spot is somewhere in between, uh, which is acknowledging, but also staying curious and open and using it as, as a learning experience. And I just wanted to ask one other thing, because I think one of the things with perfectionism too is um, you do a lot of people pleasing. <laughs> a lot of times you're usually trying to make sure everybody is like, okay, so there are no mess ups anywhere. Um, but I think with that, with our ideas, it can, um, I don't know, it can kind of keep, like, if people don't understand, like, what it is you're doing, like, how have you kind of found it where, like, that doesn't stop you from going after the goal or after, like, what you're succeeding after? 
Yeah, I think being making sure I know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it before I put it up for uh, commentary is is part of it. it. Is not rushing to. I think especially today, everything moves so fast that it's like you know you get an idea, you think to do something, and it's like step two is tell the world about it um, or put it out there. And, and I think that there's some real value and wisdom into being able to say like, okay, why do I want to do this? Does it, what does it align with? What goal is it going to accomplish? Or, um, what's the vision for what this is? How does it connect? One of the things we talk about a lot at Seiko is like your why, like, why are you here? Why are you doing what you're doing? And so I think anytime we can enter into a situation and have confidence um, with that before necessarily we like open ourselves up to have a bunch of people speak into that, it doesn't make it easier when people are like, that's dumb, or I disagree, or, you know, we should be doing something different. But it does create a sense of like grounding where I feel like from that position, you can hear feedback, but still stay um, more focused as opposed to if you feel like you like really rushed through that process. And then all of a sudden the first question you get, you're like, oh yeah good point. I didn't think about that. And then you kind of like crumble, you know? So the more you can, uh, I think the more that you can do that, that work, uh, the better and more kind of rooted you become in the reason why behind what you're doing. Definitely. I think it's so refreshing, like your, cause obviously, um, you've built this community with Seiko Designs and you're, I suppose you're sort of like the leader of this community as well. And you make room for those mistakes to be made and, you know, the, perfectionism to not be there um and I just think that's so refreshing to hear because it almost just lets those people know that yes you make mistakes yes you're not perfect that doesn't mean you're bad at your job it just means that you have something to learn and something to grow from and you know places to progress to as well yeah absolutely so I I wrote this book called beginner's pluck and the whole kind of premise of the book is that there's so much shame around being a beginner and there's so much shame when we make a mistake or when we show that we like don't really know what we're doing and really trying to reframe that for people and to kind of cultivate um, to cultivate a growth mentality and to say if you're doing anything meaningful or interesting in the world, you are going to suck for a while. Um, you're probably not inherently gifted or, you know, like you're not going to come out of the gate with perfection or being a subject matter expert or um, you know, and, and all of those things are things our ego desperately like once, you know, it's like, I just want to try it and be awesome from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately it's just not, not how the world works. And so really like embracing those beginning stages when we do feel like, okay, it's, it's technically referred to as stage two of the learning journey is consciously incompetent. Like I am aware of the growth that I have to do and really trying to embrace that and have a sense of curiosity and excitement around that potential growth as opposed to just like shame. Yeah. So fun. Cause it's so interesting. Cause that's like usually the thing, like usually if you knew how, what would everything you needed to do to go into it, you might not like, you either might not do it at all or you would do it in like a different way that doesn't actually connect with anybody. Um, but it's kind of like the fun part of the journey is the fact of like figuring out what you don't know. Yeah, absolutely. There can be a real advantage there if you, if you, if you use it that way. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you so much, Liz. We really appreciate you taking the time just to speak with us about this and share with us. Well, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. What an honor and delight. (laughs) 
So what an amazing chat with Liz. Um, and here are our top three takeaways. The first one is that we don't have to be perfect when putting something out there the first time. And there's always just room to show up and be unpolished and imperfect, but that gives permission for others to do the same and to grow within each day as well. Absolutely. And I think the next one, the next takeaway um, was to find practices that remind you that you aren't what you do. Um, which is so key, I think, because our worthiness isn't tied up in our in the success of our careers. Um, and that actually gives us a chance. I feel like when that isn't um, the sole value that we place on the careers, that is the time that we can give ourselves that space to be a bit more unpolished and, and go for it. And also, we don't do any of this alone. So we find com- like community helps us out with that. Absolutely. That's such a big one, I think, the community point. And the third one is that perfectionism comes from a place of wanting to succeed. But the reality is, the ironic reality is, is that in order to succeed, we really need to fail. So just to see those failures as a step forward, not a step back. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. If you know anyone who might love this episode too, go ahead and share it with them. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We love to hear your thoughts and it really helps us out. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to our email list, which you can find on the Magnify website, where you'll get connected and informed with even more inspiring content. And also our inbox is always open. So if you have a topic you want us to chat about, or if you have something that you just want to add to our conversations, you can email us at elliatmagnifycollective.com. 